You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to the program. Today we're going to be focusing on Chapter 7 of the United Order, Israel's Journey in the Wilderness. We'll get right into the reading. Or we'll be on pages 85 through 94, and I've posted this at my Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. I saw that this people would have to flee into the mountains 
and into a climate and country that the Gentiles would not desire. If we are not in such a place, I do not know where we will find one more undesirable than this. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 210. After the saints were driven from the United States, they encamped in the Iowa Territory. This was their first stepping stone towards their new home in the desert. It was here that the twelve apostles adopted numerous families until Israel was divided into twelve tribes or companies. As in ancient Israel, they were going into a wilderness where no one suspected they would survive. Similarly, they landed near a large body of salty water, which joined a small fresh water lake. They too would call the river that joined them the Jordan River. After the rulership of Moses, Joshua, and several other leaders, the Lord's kingdom was finally established, and only then did they enjoy peace, power, and prosperity, with the Lord manifesting his pleasure in them. This will be repeated, but the the day of deliverance is yet in the future, page 86, or 8%. In the Utah Territory... The saints were forced together by the elements and the circumstances to work together as a family. They had to build homes, farms, and send out missionaries to gather the rest of Israel in a cooperative effort. The barren wilderness of Utah was a means of purification. Those who wanted to live in a better climate, more prosperous conditions, with easier means of livelihood, were quick to leave the desert oasis. Some headed for the gold fields of California. Others sold their possessions and joined the numerous caravans heading west. Brigham Young, with his usual scornful wit for apostates, gave some practical advice to those who were thus tempted to leave. Quote, that the people had done their duty and consecrated all their property to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they would not have gone away and lost their souls. I want to have you consecrate your property if you wish it. If not, do as you please about it. If any man will say, I am going to apostatize, I will advise him to consecrate all he has that he might be kept with the saints and saved so that if you are tempted to go away, you may feel it best to stay where your treasure is. And quote, and that comes from the Improvement Era of 19, uh, February 1944. Let me just, a little bit of criti- criticism. Okay, so I am a strange kind of fundamentalist. I believe in the doctrines of the early church. I do not accept Brigham Young as the Lord's anointed because I believe that the church was rejected, as I've stated many times before, quoting section 124 of the Doctrine and Covenants. So I'm not going to just be kind to Brigham Young. Now, God told me to not judge him uh, for certain things and that he was a servant of God. But here's where my problem is. Brigham Young did not consecrate or live in a united order in Utah whatsoever. His 
finances were so mingled with the church that it was impossible when he died for the uh, for the people to divide what was his and what was the church's. He lived lavishly. When the rail line came in through Utah, he was able to buy very fine goods. And like I said before, uh, go on YouTube and, and just type in Lionhouse Brigham Young and see how he lived. In his day and time, he lived, uh, heck, in our day and time, he lived lavishly in, ex- in excess. Never mind the scripture where God tells us, or Jesus tells us, it is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin, and if you will be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. No, just forget about all of that. You know, Brigham Young did not lead by example in this aspect. He criticized people, but people, and if anybody criticized him, you know, I don't even... It just irritates me that this man proclaims to be a prophet of God and the Lord's anointed, and he does this kind of crap where he wants everybody to give up all they have to the church, but he's not willing to live frugally, that he's uh, trying to uh, gain comfort and wealth for himself and then condemns other people for wanting to chase riches. I I don't know. I just it irritates me. The whole thing irritates me. The more the more I learn about church history, uh the more irritated I become about the whole thing because the saints were very disobedient. And they still are. I'm sorry if you're LDS uh, these rules of the United Order still apply to you. We can. Uh, I was just listening to um, this week is uh, in the LDS Church. They're going over um, Doctrine and Covenants section 102 to 105, and in 104 it talks about United Orders. And they, these uh, people I was listening to on the. Uh, on the YouTube or the internet, they were like condemning the saints because they didn't live these certain laws and uh, they were supposed to, and that's the why they or that's why they were cursed and all of this and that. You're not living it either. You make excuses in the church as to why you don't have to live the laws of God, so don't go judging those people when you don't do. You don't do you you don't do what you're supposed to do either. It's ridiculous. Anyway, continuing. But the saints who remained were given other temptations and trials, Indians, inclement weather, poverty, famine, crickets, and other vicissitudes caused the hardiest to struggle for survival. Even under this stress, they were, there were many who deeded over their possessions in consecration. However, a peculiar situation occurred because prior to January 1st, 1855, none of these deeds were ever recorded. We're on page 87, we're at 
In April 1855, it was said that the reason these consecrations were delayed was because they could not find a form which should be legal in accordance with the laws of the territory. Then it was announced that that one had finally been found and consecrated, consecrations and stewardships would proceed. But it took nearly 20, 20 years more for the actual orders to be functional. More disrupting elements plagued the saints when the Gentiles brought in their goods and their wares. Cooperative prices, I'm sorry, competitive prices, 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 where is that? Anyway, um, priced items and alluring luxuries were temptations enough, but added to this came the Johnston's army, which, by the way, it drives me insane that the 24th of July has become a second 4th of July. We left the United States and went into the Mexican territory to escape the harassment and persecutions in the United States. Once we got out here, the president of the United States sent Johnston's army to wipe out the Mormons. And we're all going to be all fleet or waving the flag around on Pioneer Day? Really? It just drives me insane. Like, seriously, you people, in your ignorance, like, I, I, I believe in the Constitution and the fun, fundamental foundation of the Constitution. What I don't believe is that governments who don't agree with, they don't agree with it. They, they might say, oh, we got a Constitution, but... You know, damn freedom of uh, religion. You know, if if you don't believe like us Protestants and us Catholics, we'll destroy you, which is exactly how it was. So they sent a federal army to destroy the Mormons out in what was Mexico. Because why? Because we believe in plural celestial marriage, which is in the Bible, which is a law in the Torah. I mean, we're given instructions in the Torah about these things, but it just it drives me nuts. And I'll say it, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you threaten the devil's kingdom, he will come after you. And that's all that was happening. The restoration of the gospel was a threat to the devil's kingdom, and he was going to do anything that he could do to destroy it or to get his claws into it and change it, which is exactly what happened. But anyway, continuing on, one must realize the odds that were against the saints, even without these outside influences. Until 1861, the area of Utah was nearly three times that of the present state. To possess and people this inland empire was a challenge to the brain and brawn of every man woman, and child in the church. I'm going to restate this because I was interrupted by a phone call from my wife. To possess and people this inland empire was to challenge was a challenge to the brain and brawn of every man, woman, and child in the church, whether already settled in the valleys of the mountains or waiting eagerly to the opportunity to migrate from various centers of missionary activity where they had heard the gospel and cast their lot with the saints. Four major phases of work of, of empire building required the pooling of immense amounts of labor and capital. 
These were proselyting, immigration, colonization, and making of public improvements. End quote, improvement era, March 1944. All of the main functions of the church were attempted to draw the people together in cooperation. We're on page 88 and we're at 28%. One of these projects of unification was their irrigation system. Quote, the task of bringing water 5, 10, and 20 miles through canals cut deep into hard rock along steep mountainsides and through soil containing roots of trees and brush was not accomplished by a few individuals. It required the united effort of the entire community. This was always taken into account in sending out our colonizing companies. The size of the company depended upon the character of the irrigation project that was to be undertaken, as well as upon the number and size of the streams of water in the locality. When the canals were completed and water was brought into uh, to the land where there was usually enough for each man to irrigate a garden plot and a 10 or 20 acre farm. In the construction of the canal, each man was expected to contribute his labor and would receive water or water rights in portion to his contribution. The canals and streams of water became thus the property of the community. The social and economic results of cooperation, cooperative irrigation are significant. The county was settled by colonizing, I'm sorry, the country was settled by colonizing communities rather than by individuals going out by themselves. And quote, Mormon Group Life by Erickson, page 41. There were very few attempts to once again get the order established. Some people had consecrated their possessions to the church during the 1850s, but the re, the re, or the, reco, the records indicate that the movement was practically terminated in 1858. And quote, "Building the City of God" by Leonard Arrington, Fox in May, page 75, and we're on page 89 at 37 percent. In 1857, Lorenzo Snow, a chief advocate of United Orders, said, quote, Take this people at the present time. Consider what they possess. Then inquire how many of them have consecrated their property, and you will find that the amount consecrated is mere, a mere nothing compared with that which the people actually possess. Journal of Discourses, Volume 5, Page 65. The most successful effort in getting the people into the order was the establishment of a mercantile cooperative. In 1868, the first steps were taken towards a Zion's cooperative mercantile institution, and branches of the cooperative were established in many of the settlements as stock companies. Everyone was given the opportunity to buy stock with cash, produce, or labor. The issue was, should the church hold her temple power or lose it? Should the Gentile money agencies be permitted to exact tribute from the chosen people? As early as 1868, Brigham Young recognized 
the approaching problem and began to take steps towards the organization of a cooperative system, which he intended should completely monopolize all the mercantile businesses in the territory. A year later, his scheme was completed, and there was put in operation a most comprehensive mercantile system entitled Zion's Cooperative Mercantile Institution, or ZCMI. End quote, Mormon Group Life by Erickson, page 53. We're on page 90, 47% through the reading for today. They helped distribute home manufactured goods, lowered the price of merchandise, created uniform prices, and distributed profits and earnings among the saints. In front of every store was the inscription, Holiness to the Lord. These cooperatives were just as sacred in their function as the United Order, and people who were employed in them entered into a covenant by rebaptism to be subject to the priesthood in temporal as well as spiritual things. And quote Mormon Group Life by Erickson, page 53. Uh, if you want to read a pretty interesting book about rebaptisms, which was a thing up until uh, up until <clears throat> excuse me up until Wilford Woodruff. Ogden Kraut wrote a book about it called Rebaptism. It's a pretty short book, uh, relatively speaking, but it's a pretty good book, too. And uh, because it was a doctrine of the church, I do um, offer rebaptisms for anybody who has a desire to be rebaptized or baptized. Uh, we do have a baptismal font, a uh, place for baptism anyway, and uh, I offer that. I don't uh, require people's allegiance to me or anything like that, like some groups do. I've baptized a lot of people who go back to their wards and remain in their wards and their Sunday schools and their priesthood quorums and all of that. Um, yeah, and in fact, they don't tell people about coming to me, but there are people that do come to me. So offering that free of charge for anybody who is in the Utah area and can come to close to where I am near Price, Utah. Anyway, um, I can also meet people up in Provo and Salt Lake if you have a place that you would like me to baptize you. All right, continuing on with the reading. The American Fork Cooperative was set up in 1873. Their primary function was merchandising, manufacturing, and the incorporation of several other branches of industry. Company officers were appointed as president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, and board of directors. Not more than 5% of the profits could be held in their reserve fund. Stockholders had one vote for each share of stock. Dividends came in the proportion to the amount of stock invested. This organization capital was to be the medium through which the United Order could be established. The Mormon people felt the need for co-ops to protect their economy from being taken over by outsiders. The railroads brought in the flood of merchants, gold diggers, lawyers, Gentile huskers who were all attempting to get money from the Mormons. Some form of economic protection was sought for. 
When the Brigham City Cooperative was set up, a host of Mormon merchants began exchanging with this movement. Over 80 Mormon merchants joined the whole, or this wholesale house for their own protection from Gentile, Gentile cooper, uh, competition. Page 91, 57%. George A. Smith commented on this, quote, I advise the saints to form cooperative societies and associations all over the territory and to import everything they need that they cannot manufacture and not to pay their money to men who would use it to buy bayonets to slay them with and to stir up the indignation of our fellow man against us. And quote, Journal of Discourses, volume 13, page 124. Brigham Young was just as adamant on this principle of exchanging and said, quote, how our friends, the outside merchants, will complain because they are going to stop trading with them. Because we are going to stop trading with them. We cannot help it. It is not our duty to do it. Our policy in this respect here hitherto has been one of the most foolish in the world. Henceforth, it must be to let these trade alone and save our means for other purposes than to enrich outsiders. We must use it to spread the gospel, to gather the poor, to build temples and sustain our poor, to build houses for ourselves and convert this means to a better use than to give it to those who will use it against us. Journal of Discourses, Volume 12, page 301. Business was booming for the new ZCMI, but it was a death blow to many other merchants, including some of the Mormon stores. But Brigham Young thought that merchandising was not a very contributing contributing factor in the community, it was unproductive and too often it became an overpricing scheme to get rich. He said, quote, and we're on page 92 at 66%, I know that many of our traders in this city are feeling very bad and sore over this. They say you are taking the bread out of our mouths. We wish to do it. For they have made themselves rich. Take any community, three-eighths of whom are living on the labor of the remaining five-eighths, and you will find the few are living on the many. Take the whole world, and comparatively few of its inhabitants are producers. If the members of this community wish to get rich and enjoy the fruits of the earth, they must be producers as well as consumers. It is always disgusting to me to see a big, fat, lubberly fellow handling out or handing out calicos. Oh, what's a calico? I mean, I know what a cat, a calico cat is, but a calico is a noun. Let's see, it's a dress, a British type of cotton cloth, typically plain white or bleached. Okay, and then it's also a cat, but that's interesting. 
and measuring ribbon, and I would rather see the ladies do it. Deseret News, May 26, 1869. This bitter conflict between Mormons and non-Mormons grew during the 1860s and 70s. The government now took this position that mobs had already had formerly taken. Not only did they send a whole army out to the West to put down the Mormons, but they began to hatch up numerous and unconstitutional laws to persecute, religiously uproot, and economically destroy the Mormon people. These were the forces and the conditions that drove the Mormon people into the economic independence and, and the birth of the United Order again among its people. Another event that helped the germination of the United Order was the Great National Panic and Depression of 1873. Page 70, or I'm sorry, page 93, 75% finished with the reading for today. This desperation, I'm sorry, this depression hit first the mining industry, an industry completely dependent on the whims of national and international marketers, our markets. This industry was obviously an enclave of non-Mormons, while considering numbers of Latter-day Saints were employed in the mining in 1873, virtually all of the mines and the banks that sustained them and depended upon them were owned by non-Mormons. Bank deposits dropped by one-third during the 12 months following the panic. With the shrinkage of national markets, the mines were shut down. The unemployment and economic stagnation were the result, and, and Mormons lost both of their jobs and the mines and their markets for fruitstuffs and other commodities used in the mining camps. It seems obvious to Brigham Young, it seemed obvious to Brigham Young, that the outsiders had been vectors of the plague visited upon Utah in the wake of the panic, prospering from supplying and servicing the mining camps. Many Latter-day Saints contracted considerable indebtedness in order to expand their profit-making ventures. To these people, closing of the mine camps spelled a disaster. A bishop in Parowan area lamented, and that's uh, southern Utah, that because of the heavy lumber trade with uh, Picoche, actually, let me see if I can search that, highlight, well, let's see, define. I don't know how to say this word. I'm going to try to look it up. It's P I O C H. Apparently. And it is not letting me do it. Oh, here it is. Define. No, de no definition found. All right. The brethren doing the hauling got into debt to the Gentiles, and since the falling off of the trade, those debtors have been at the mercy of the Gentiles who are their creditors. And quote, building the city of God by Leonard Arrington, Fox, and May page 137 and 138. 
There were many reasons for the saints to live the united order, but the principal factor was the failure of the Gentile economy. And, uh, well, let's see. Oh, page 94, 86%. But the Depression gave President Brigham Young an opportunity for which he was not unprepared. It allowed him to move smoothly into a major change of social idealism, which many individuals would have resisted in a normal economic period. At the same time, he could regroup his people and insulate them from the tastes and some had acquired, that some had acquired from Babylon. And quote, Utah Historical Quarterly, Volume 42, page 145. With the United States Depression of 1873, the strongest bridge between the Mormons and the Gentiles was crashing down. The Latter-day Saints were now getting conditioned to live the law of the Lord. Thus, in retrospect, it was in the mid-1830s that the church abandoned the practice of the United Order. Not until the mid-1870s did they fully support that practice again. This was a gap of over 40 years. It took Moses 40 years in the desert wilderness waiting for a new generation that would obey the laws of God. Now the modern Moses, Brigham Young, would give a new generation another attempt at living God's economic law of heaven. Okay, so that's the end of that chapter. Um, When I come back on for the next program, we'll be on page 95 of United Order, chapter 8, Order and Disorder. And I'm going to read one page for a preview for the next program. And if we have any callers, uh, I will bring them into the studio and they can ask me their questions or comments. If they want to go live on the air, then um, I will allow that at that point. But if you just want to ask your questions and comments off the air, just push one and I'll bring you into a private studio setting so that you can ask your questions or make your comments. You can also find a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Okay, let's get into the preview here. It's chapter 8, Order and Disorder of United Order, page 95. Thus saith the Lord unto my servant Brigham, Call ye, call ye upon the inhabitants of Zion to organize themselves in the order of Enoch, in the new and everlasting covenant, according to the order of heaven, for further furtherance of my kingdom upon the earth, for the perfecting of the saints, for the salvation of the living and the dead. You can accommodate yourselves by calling this a new revelation. If you choose it, it is no new revelation, but it is the express word and will of God to this people. And quote, Brigham Young, 1874, as uh, quoted in Journal of Discourses, volume 17, page 154. And we know that Brigham Young died August 29th of 1877, so this wasn't too long before the end of his life. 
Brigham Young delivered a sermon in which he said, if Babylon should happen to tip over so that we could not reach out and the necessities of the necess- necessaries of life, we should all be in a bad condition. I want to put you in mind these things. I want to put you in mind these things. And it is my duty to say to the Latter-day Saints that they should take measures to sustain themselves, and that's true today as well as back then. They should lay the foundation for feeding and clothing themselves. And quote Journal of Discourses, volume 15, page 158. And that's the end of the preview for today. Emmett, is there anybody in the studio or on the chat room? Nope. Okay, I'm in a bad area. So if we don't have any callers, that's fine. Um, I uh, told Emmett that he could choose a book to read if he wanted to read one. And he chose The Trees of Creation, which is my favorite book. So, and then is going to read some of that on the air tonight. Did you, um, you got that book there in front of you there, Emmett? Yep. Tim, is there anything that you or Emmett, for that matter, have to say about any of the United Order books before we get into the mysteries of creation? Not so much. Um... Again, it's like another topic that you and I have talked about a whole lot. Um, I really try um, to to just reiterate that I try not to be judgy about anybody's anything because um, even now we still have commandments to live and do certain things that we should be doing, and life is crazy, okay? Being on this planet and all of the things that you have to overcome in order to do what you're supposed to do is crazy. And, you know, it can be difficult at times and you're trying to figure out how I'm supposed to do the things that I'm supposed to do, you know. So I try really hard not to judge others because I'm pretty sure that Brigham, for example, um, had his own set of difficulties all on their own. And if it's not like it's not your mind being cloudy and not being able to understand, a, you know, a physical uh, reason why you have difficulties doing it, then maybe it's just um, situational, like the, the life, the way that your life is or where you are, you know, situated at in your life. Sorry, that was my um, thing. But, um, yeah, it just, I feel like it's hard. And, and nobody, I don't know of anybody who can live all of the laws perfectly right now we're supposed to be living it all as a people and um i for one do not do everything that i'm supposed to do i have a difficult time doing it and i am not sure maybe that's because i'm too much in the world or you know i'm you know i'm not entirely exactly sure and i think that's what a lot of people's problems are is that um it's so subjective to what you feel and feelings are very subjective and so it's kind of difficult to say, yes, definitely, absolutely do something 
it's more of you need to pray about it, and it's the way that you, um, the you know, the Spirit leads you and guides you, or, you know, in some cases, like you and I have had, where he actually tells you, you get a voice to tell you what you're supposed to do so it's not confusing, but that doesn't happen all the time. So I feel like maybe Brigham tried to do his best as well as others, and I'm pretty sure after they you know, passed away and, you know, have to meet their judgment, um, you know, and standing in front of him, I could see them saying, you know, I don't know, just stuff happens, you know, and it just being difficult. So, yeah, that's my piece. I just try not to judge at all um, because I don't feel like I am doing what I'm supposed to do either. I, you know, sometimes I feel like, yeah, I totally nailed it. And then sometimes I'm like, okay, maybe that didn't go like it was supposed to. Well, the reason why I judge Brigham Young is because he was supposed to lead by example, and he did not lead by example. He criticized other people for doing what he himself did not do. Yeah, and I totally understand that, too. Like, I get your perspective also. I'm just saying me personally, I am not perfect, so I try not to judge other people just because of that. Because I'm like, okay, hopefully they understand. (laughs) Hopefully God understands. So, yeah, that's that's all I was saying about it. Like, we still, even in our era right now, we're supposed to be doing things. Why don't we do it? I have no idea. So, anyways, um, I'm going to have to mute myself for just a few minutes. So, Emma, if you want to continue, if you want to read, then that will be amazing. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Of course. So... I uh, just wanted to say this real quick. We don't live in a united order either, but that's not because we don't want to. It's because people don't want to. We've invited people. You know, people have kind of said, you know, hey, you know, can we come join, join the united order with you? But they just want to live in our house for free and not do anything. So that's yeah, not that's a united a order. Thing. They don't understand. Yeah. It's, it's well, kind of funny because they're like, oh. You have land, so let's come do what you're doing, and I'll just come live at your place, and that's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, we had a guy last year that he really wanted to come and plant a bunch of plants and do all the stuff, and really what he wanted to do was plant a bunch of heirloom plants and then take all the seeds and let everything rot. He, he didn't care. You know, that was his idea of a united order. <laughs> anyway, but... Uh, Whatever. It's just people using other people. That's not what the United Order is about. Anyway, I'm going to mute myself and get into the reading, and uh, I'll listen. Okay. Mysteries of creation. Uh, There's a whole bunch of content, uh, starting with the introduction. I will show you the workmanship of my hands, but not all, for my works are without end, and also my words, for they never cease. Moses, Moses chapter 1, verse 4. One of the greatest queries on the minds of the saints is to understand the nature, the principle of the foundation of our existence. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 275. Every world that has been created has been created upon the same principle. They may vary in their varieties, yet the eternity is one. It is one eternal round. These are things that simply belong to the best of this congregation. There are items of doctrine and principles in the bosom of eternity 
that the best of the Latter-day Saints are unworthy to receive. In the visions of their minds, uh, we open to look into the vast creation and gaze upon the power and glory and goodness and exaltation of the gods. They would exclaim, woe is me, I am undone, I am am of unclean lips. The teachings of President Brigham Young, Volume 3, pages uh, 353 and 354. Um, They spelled we wrong, so I was a bit confused. Preface, page 3. Learning the mysteries of creation involves a never-ending search into the unknown. But as man learns precept upon precept, he will grow in wisdom and understanding with a greater respect for his creator and all creation. The prophet Joseph Smith recognized the power of the creator, or the power of creator. He that can mark the power of omnipotence inscribed upon the heavens can also see God's own handwriting in the sacred volume. He who reads it oftenest will like it best, and he who is acquainted with it will know the hand wherever he can see it. And once it's discovered, it, it will not only receive an acknowledgement, but an obedience to all its heavenly precepts. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 56. It is written, it is written that the things of God can be understood only by the spirit of God, but regret, regrettably most of mankind have acquired only the spirit of the world. So heavenly things are often misunderstood. To increase the difficulty in obtaining a clear concept of God's work and mission of and the mission of Christ, there seem to be a conflicting statements throughout the scriptures. Many views and interpretations have been attributed to the creator of the heavens and earth, misunderstanding the scriptures led mankind into dark ages, or the dark ages, from which we have never apparently recovered. The sensation, the Lord said, and uh, section 112, verse 23. Without the additional benefit of revelation, the scriptures are confusing and misunderstood, and incorrect interpretations usually result. Nevertheless, mankind looks with awe into the great vault, vault of the universe and wonders at creation in the Creator. The wonder of how it was created, why it was created, and who created it does not escape the mind of mortal man. Astronomers, Cosmetologists, scientists, and most of mankind have speculated on this subject ever since the beginning of time. And here on page four, only very few have ever gained the remotest understanding of their creation, and they were God's prophets. And yet, even they have gained only a meager understanding of the mysteries of the universe. From their words, unfortunately, came many conflicting statements concerning the creation. There are numerous and obvious doctrinal differences between the LDS religion and other world religions, but pertaining to the subject of creation, there are many disagreements just among the Mormons. This book will attempt to identify and clarify some of these problems and contradictions, such as, who created the heavens and the earth? The Father or Jesus, or did they do it together? Were the men involved in, involved in the creation? Who is the God of the Old Testament, the Father or the Son? How long did it take to create the earth? Who is the only begotten? Can spirits create anything for people? What is the fall? What is the destiny of man? As Brigham Young stated, these things that or these are things that strictly belong to the best congregation or of the congregation, and also it is a mystery to the wisest there is upon the earth. But Joseph Smith said, "He who readeth oftenest will take or will like it best." 
the great jigsaw puzzle, which must be fitted together one small piece at a time before the whole picture can be seen. And apparently some of the important pieces are missing. So this brief effort does not attempt to answer all these questions completely, but merely to provide a further knowledge and insight into forming a better understanding of the Earth's creation. Each chapter of this book is a stepping stone or another piece to the puzzle, and hopefully by the last chapter, a more clear picture will be visible, and there will be a few less mysteries of creation. That's confusing. It goes straight from page 5 to page 7. Um, page 7, chapter 1, introduction. Uh, this is really short, so I'm going to read the whole thing. Winston Churchill once described a confusing problem as being a mystery shrouded by an enigma wrapped around a question. This definition could also supply to many factors connected with the creation of Earth. In this vast program of the gods, we mortals can only see through a glass darkly. Many of the mysteries in this realm must remain as mysteries for now. Only comparatively few sermons, scriptures, and scientific facts have shed much light on the subject of creation. But this is no reason for us to avoid learning what we can about it. In some instances, scientists come closer to the truth than most of the modern Christian ministers. Some of these mysteries can be understood by, or they can be understood better by reason, logic, and common sense than by literal statements from ancient Bible writers. Hold on. Brigham Young, in speaking about the creation, mentioned how little we really know. The, compact, uh, the capacity of mankind in attaining to geometrical knowledge in the fine arts is great. All nations and people understand more or less the knowledge of, or more or less of the knowledge pertaining to the arts and science. But studies pursued by na the natural man and undertake to define their own person, their own being, and to understand the property and wisdom of the creation and bring forth to themselves or to others those principles that pertain to future knowledge, they are in the dark, there is a veil over them, the veil of the covering that is over the nations of the earth has beclouded their understanding so that they are in thick darkness, or on page 8. This is our, or this our experience teaches us, that when any uninspired person or person who pretend to uh, step beyond organized nature, which is visible to the natural eye, there is a mystery, the hidden mystery, the deep and unsearchable mystery of creation. Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 284. <clears throat> Rhythm said that fortunately, the Latter-day Saints have a little more light and knowledge about the mysteries of creation. The Latter-day Saints have some knowledge respecting their future lives and destiny. The Lord has revealed this knowledge. We know the design of our Father in Heaven in creating the earth and in peopling it. <laughs> and in bringing forth the myriads of organizations would flow upon it. Uh, Journal of Discourses, uh, Volume 14, page 229. Man, the term... Emmett? Emmett? What? Um, what? I just want to know, um, is it my reception, or is it a mic that you're using? No, it's the mic that he's using. I've told him over and over and over again to get the headset, and I haven't said anything because he doesn't listen anyway. So I can't understand okay. I him. I was just either. wondering. I it's can really understand him, but it has him. like a weird, scratchy thing. Also, when you're talking, though, I hear the same thing. Oh, I don't know. I can hear. I can hear it's him. The same exact thing. But. It's clear. It's more clear with the, the headset, which is why he has the headset. 
but he lost it last week, and he has not found it, and I don't think he's even tried to look for it. So, I don't know. I'm just tired of saying anything. The only reason I say anything now is because you just said something. It's just hard to understand okay. you, Emmett. But also, uh, when you're talking... Set. But also, when you're talking, I hear the same exact thing. So I was wondering if it was my speaker or not, um, because when you talk, there's like a sort of scratchiness or a, an, like, I don't know, a weird speaker maybe sound. Well, your headset, my, your, whatever you're listening on might have some issues. Emmett's voice on the microphone that he's using. I don't know if he's. Emma, if you could hold your phone upside down, maybe to get that microphone close to your mouth, you know, maybe that would help. Are you there? Yeah. <laughs> I think you're breaking Did you hear up. what I said? Yeah, yeah I'm in a bad I area. Heard Did you hear what I said? Okay. Yeah, mo- turn the yeah, microphone upside down and hold it like, hold your phone like a microphone if you don't have the headset that I gave you. Maybe that might help. Okay. But when I hear you, it's really muffled. It's really hard to understand because it's really hard to hear the pronunciation of the words, which is why I spent all that money on a headset for you to use that you don't know where it is. So I don't know. I mean, I would like to be able to comment on what you're reading on too, but I can't even tell what it is you're reading. Well. Okay, do you want to, um, did you have your, uh, how were you holding the phone before? Um, I'm like laying down almost, not exactly, but like I'm laying at an angle and I have it like right on my chest with the speaker in my face and I'm holding the book with both my hands. Okay, I don't even know. Um, what page are you on? Um, I believe I am on, I'm just before page nine. Okay, um, then you're reading the first chapter? Yeah, because it's like less than a page long, so. Yeah, I know. They, usually Ogden Krauts' first chapters are really short. So, yeah, okay, well, I'll let you continue. Yeah, yeah, okay. just hold that phone up to your mouth like you're holding a microphone up to your mouth. If you're not, if you don't know where your headset is, which is really irritating, by the way, because it's a hundred and something dollar headset, but if you don't know where it is, hold your phone right, because what you're doing isn't working. I can't understand you. Okay, okay I'll mute myself. Right Go now. ahead. Yes, it does. Okay. Uh, I have my phone in a different position. Uh, I guess this will work better. Um, He also said that comprehending these mysteries is one of the grand expectations of good men. I expect, if I am faithful with yourselves, that I shall see the time with yourselves that we shall know how to prepare to organize an earth like this, know how to people that earth, how to redeem it how to sanctify it, and how to glorify it. Would those who live upon it who hearken to our counsels? Journal of Discourses, uh, 
Volume 6, page 274 and 275. Many volumes have been written just on the areas of creation and astronomy that are known. But only a portion of those principles and facts are necessary for man to understand pertaining to his salvation. The human body, as studied by medical science, has encompassed thousands of years and thousands of men. Page 9. Their in-depth studies have involved all the intricate phases of the body's construction, its reactions to chemicals, and how it can be repaired. Their conclusions have filled thousands of books, yet none of these professionals have written so much, or have written much, if anything, on the eternal destiny, destiny of the body. So, too, would the scientific work of the astronomers in the years of research and the labors of many lifetimes, their studies have produced few comments or words of wisdom concerning the purpose or destiny of this earth. Astronomy is the study of heavenly bodies, and anatomy is the study of human bodies. But scientists and doctors in neither area have revealed much on the eternal destiny of these heavenly or human bodies. Joseph Smith and Brigham Young often expounded important truths connected with the creation that were not found in the Bible. This is typical of inspired prophets. Moses and Abraham also saw and knew more about the creation than they recorded. Apparently, we cannot understand these things unless we see them in like manner. However, Brigham Young tries to give us just a glimpse. Now, I wish to ask you if you have any conception or idea as to the creation of the world. Oh, yes, he replies. A great many of us have a tolerable idea of it, but still there are mysteries we do not understand. There are some things in the Bible about the creation that seem to be dark. We have learned some things in this kingdom we do not understand, and that do not, not correspond with the reading of the Bible. Let me open the eyes of your understanding. There has never been a time when the creations of worlds commenced. They are from eternity to eternity in their creations and redemption. After they are organized, they experience the good and the evil, the light and the dark, the bitter and the sweet, as you and I do. Page 10. There never was a time when there was not worlds in existence as this world is, and they passed through similar changes in abiding their creation, preparatory to exaltation. Preparatory to exaltation. Worlds have always been in progress and eternally will be. Teachings of Brigham Young, uh, Volume 3, page 393, uh, Collier. Creation is more than just making a world. Besides forming oceans, mountains, rain, and atmosphere, it is the placing of a huge sun to give light and warmth. It is a garden creation to be filled with plants and animals, especially designed as a place for man to live. It is an earth on which the man is to have dominion, to grow and to learn and to have increase in his prosperity. But if this great architectural masterpiece was made expressly for man, why did God subject him to so much cold, hunger, sickness, and pain? Why must man be enforced to endure so much trouble, poverty, war, and death in its most horrible forms? Then, as if that is not enough, why did he create a devil with billions of evil imps to add to the mystery of man? It has been revealed that this little world stuck out in space is more than a scientific miracle. Even though it is plagued with sorrows and adversities, it is all for the good and everlasting welfare of mankind. When man finally learns the reasons for all these creations and conditions, he will rejoice and exclaim that it truly is a marvelous work and wonder. This little globe resting among the stars has a surprising and predetermined future. It exceeds man's meager understanding of this world, 
For God's special work is to bring about the immortality and eternal life of man. Only much later will man learn that his destiny is centered in God and the destiny of God is centered in him. Page 11. Uh, Moses beheld the world and the ends thereof and all the children of men which are and which were created of the same. He greatly marveled and wondered. Moses chapter 1 verse 8. Um, there's a picture of what appears to be the earth that is really just extremely grainy. <laughs> um, and that is the end of chapter one and the start of chapter two, Wonders of the Universe. Um, okay. I, should I, like, read the first page like you normally would? Well, you can if you want. Uh, did you have anything to say about that chapter? Anything that's about um, you? Anything interesting? Uh, it seems like it's going to be awesome to read about, um, just in general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple uh, chapters in that book. I'm like, uh, this is kind of boring, but it's interesting anyway. But most of it, I really enjoy it. So one thing that um, that I do like uh, is that when we understand the word create in the Hebrew uh, meanings, definition, lexicon, whatever, it doesn't mean to create out of nothing, and excuse me, um, it means to organize, unorganize the matter. So when Jesus created, and all, all that meant was that he, he organized the spirits in heaven. When the Father created, it means that he organized, unorganized matter. That's all it means. So, um, you know, it's been quite a long time, 20-something years. But God showed me the beginning of the spirit, and he showed me how all of the elements were eternal, and all of the energy was eternal. And there was a point where the intelligence becomes self-aware, which is an energy within the universe, and the masculine and the feminine, feminine energy separated, and you had a male and a female spirit, and that was the beginning of the spirit, but that wasn't the beginning of the elements, that the elements are eternal and energy is eternal. And I think that when we understand that all, everything that we see around us is eternal, um, that helps us to understand that God didn't do this magic show that uh, Christians want to say that he did. He didn't create the world out of nothing. He may have spoken into existence, but he only spoke it into existence as far as it was organized because uh, over a period of eons of time, he learned how to first help others of the intelligence become self-aware, and that's why he became the father. Actually, it's the father and the mother of all spirits because there is God the eternal mother and God the eternal father. But that he also... Um, along with these other individuals, learn how to manipulate and control the elements, and that over time they learned how to control and to create worlds and to have this plan of salvation uh, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, until we all come in the unity of the saints in God, the Eternal Father, and in the gospel of the ages. So, anyway... Uh, is there anything else? Uh, you wanted to read the next chapter, right? Uh, just a preview of the next chapter? Yeah, I wanted to preview the next chapter like we normally would. 
Okay, uh, go ahead and read a page or two or whatever you feel comfortable with, and then uh, we'll go to that point, and I'll mute myself. Okay. Chapter 2, Wonders of the Universe. Complexities of our universe, galaxies, and solar system. The vast complexity of the universe extends far beyond the shallow confines of our mortal minds. We have only scratched the surface of knowledge pertaining to this world, not to mention the rest of creation. Our sun is only a speck among the endless galaxies that compose our universe, as clearly described below. But great and glorious as the sun is, and seemingly so much greater than every other object in the sky, uh, it is, uh, there's a date, I think, 10-6-2005. It is really only a tiny fragment, a mere speck, a mere speak, it says, I think it means speck in the magnificent starry empire of which it is a part. It is less the, to the material universe at large than a globule to our globe. With all its retinue of ponderous orbs, it is only one of innumerable hosts of such star, stars and systems. There are myriads of stars in space immeasurably greater than it. The gospel in the stars, Joseph A. Seiss, uh, S-E-I-S-S, uh, page 9 to 10. Yeah, man, the scale of our universe is just ridiculously huge. And that's only the observable universe. There's this really cool effect, like, uh, when you're looking at space, you can, like, see out uh, only to a certain distance, and then there's, like, this weird almost wall where you can't see light past it at all. Um, but, like, we can tell that there's stuff beyond there because of a whole bunch of different things. <laughs> um, and, like, that's way far away and we can't even like ever get there within our lifetimes if we were going at the speed of light. Um, it's just yeah. like ridiculous. The scale of our universe, even the observable universe is just ridiculous. Like we are just absolutely yep. tiny. <laughs> and, like, there's, there's stars that we can see that are like absolutely like multiple thousands of billions of times bigger than our solar system. And then there's ones we can't see that are, like, way bigger than that because there's stars that, like, get so big that they almost form black holes, but they don't, or, like, they're about to even. And there's just, like, nebula and all that. Um, There's a star, I think it's called V.Y. Canis Majoris. It's this gigantic star. It's literally billions of times bigger than our sun and that's one of the largest <laughs> stars that we can currently see and that probably isn't even the biggest one out there because there's supposed to be a size bigger between that and a black hole <laughs> so like <laughs> yeah and then there's wow. like supermassive black holes at the center of galaxies and those are just gigantic <laughs> and yeah. like there's ones that are even bigger than that at the center of other ones, and there's ones that are bigger than that. It just, like, goes on and on forever. And it's just ridiculous that how small we are <laughs> compared to the rest of the yeah. universe. Yeah. But then if you go the other way, the complexities of the atoms and the neutrons and the protons and all of that are just amazing in themselves. Yeah, and, like, the fact that everything is made up out of these tiny little things and that there's, like, an uncountable amount of these that make up, like, a single person, let alone the entire rest of the universe. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Like, 
Um, uh, all right. Is it any wonder that Moses, after being shown just the world upon which he was created and the ends thereof, said, Now for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. Yeah, he, he like saw the whole earth, and he's like, Now for this, because I know man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. Um, Moses chapter 1, verse 8 and 10. Just like, yeah. This book is dealing mostly with the creation of just our Earth, but to better understand the magnitude and power involved in its creation, it is important to know a little about the entire universe and our Earth's relationship to it. And that is the end of page 12 of the first page of chapter 1, or chapter 2, because, yeah, uh, that's the end of that page. Uh, I think I'm done because my voice is, or my throat is starting to hurt. Okay. Like I feel yeah, like I'm I get that to too. I'm about to go in the depths, so if you just want to play the uh, end of music, we'll be back on tomorrow with Chapter Seven of United Order. And if Emmett wants to read, I guess we'll uh, go into the next chapter of Mysteries of Creation too. But to that point, everyone have a good night. Take care. God bless and goodbye. Thanks, Emmett. Welcome. Thank you.